Hello everyone. I want to talk about the importance of sexual ethicalness. Here is Here's what I mean by that. And I want to do this succinctly. So this is the way I'm going to do it. I am the type of person that is supportive of what is called ethical promiscuity. It means that you are non-monogamous. There's the sex is safe, enthusiastically safe. The sex is consensual, enthusiastically consensual, and the sex is transparent, enthusiastically transparent. Ethical promiscuity means that you have a understandable tendency that is harmless to have multiple persons as sexual partners without objectifying, commodifying, and dehumanizing people. To objectify, commodify, that means to mistreat and disregard. There's a difference between that and ethical porn, right? Ethical porn, as I've said before, there's freedom from commodification objectification because the viewers as well as the performers are about making real sex artful and sensual. So because of that, there's no such thing as exploitation. So ethical promiscuity is about freedom from exploitation and freedom to humanizing self, others, and each other. So ethical promiscuity is harmlessly empowering to people.
and ethical promiscuity is all about an openness to STI and STD checkups, an openness to PrEP, an openness to birth control, contraceptives, condoms. So that's what ethical promiscuity means. To me, there's also a thing called ethical monogamy. It means that you are a person that is in a partnership with another person. And there is safe sex that's enthusiastic, consensual sex that's enthusiastic, and transparent sex that's enthusiastic. And that means you have an understandable tendency to have one person as your sexual partner without objectifying, commodifying, and dehumanizing anyone. And it means that you are that your ethical monogamy is harmlessly empowered is harmlessly empowered. Okay. So you can have ethical promiscuity, ethical monogamy, and of course you got ethical non-monogamy, but not all forms of ethical non-monogamy are exactly promiscuous. You can have more than one person and not be promiscuous. You can have more than one person and be promiscuous. Either way, no one is being judged harshly And no one is being attacked. We, this, I'm a person who's pro-sex. I am sex positive, and I'm a sex positive feminist. All right. So let's talk about this. There's this terminology called flavor field. When I say play the field, for me, it's never about seeing or treating anyone as a toy or a game because I think that is degradation. So if you are ethically non-monogamous or ethically promiscuous, it is okay to indulge in a harmless series of harmless sexual relationships without committing oneself to anyone. What does harmless mean? It's enthusiastically consenting. There's enthusiastic equality, enthusiastic respect, enthusiastic trust, enthusiastic safety. So, now let's talk about the dues of one night stands. I'm just reading series of articles, so people can, I can just flow with it. Okay. The dues of one night stands as long as one, you aren't doing anything that you don't want to do. Everything is enthusiastically consensual. 
and enthusiastically say, two, no one is breaking the law, three, no one is being physically or emotionally hurt slash abused, four, you are both at age, physical age and emotional age, five, your boundaries are being respected, six, there's a common denominator, you are you are both looking for slash wanting the same things. Seven, communication is clear. Eight, you don't have unreal expectations. No one is trying to wake up engaged the morning after. Nine, you're not making yourself feel better in the moment at the expense of the other person's heart and emotional well-being. Ten, you're doing it to add to an already great life and great life experiences, not literally make your life, your confidence, your self-esteem, and be the experience. Eleven, you are in alignment with your own morals, values, and beliefs. I really don't see the problem, nor do I see a need for shame, guilt, or judgment from yourself and others. You can apply this not just for one night stands, but any sexual engagement that you know is right for you. The don'ts of one night stands. One, put a band-aid on the cancer of your loneliness and insecurities. Two, emotionally cut in the name of reaffirming a self-fulfilling prophecy that you aren't worth a real relationship. Three, carry out an experiment to see if you're so good that you can hook the other person to wanting more, whether that's more sex, a relationship, whatever it may be. Four, seek validation, attention, love, or approval. Five, fill a void because you don't know how to be alone. You're desperate for true love, but are always in a limerent state. You crave intimacy, but feel like you don't have the social skills or confidence for anything more than physical intimacy. Six, speed and addiction. For some people, one night stands are full-blown addiction because you feel so worthless and unloved. You become addicted to feeling wanted, special love for a night. If you're having one night stands to... Don't ever think that having a one night stand is going to change anyone, your, yourself or the other person. Don't do it if you already know you're going to have a regret hangover. Don't do it if you know that you'll get emotionally attached slash dependent slash clingy slash anxious. Also, don't do it to perform a test slash prove slash prove to yourself that you can do it without getting attached. You lose every time. Don't do it if you're using the one night stand to try to get the other person in a situation to make you feel a way that you can't make yourself feel. Don't do it to forget your ex, even if they were toxic. It will just highlight their absence that much more if you haven't done the emotional work. And one night stand won't erase or replace anyone. I would also suggest not doing it if you're drunk or on drugs. It's a bad look and unsafe. So those are the don'ts of the one night stands. But remember what I said about the do's of the one night stands. And let's talk about
how one night stands can be healthy for people who do them. The best way to keep your dignity intact is to communicate through your words and actions with just self-respect. Don't lie and say that you never had a one-night stand if you have. Just be you. If you're adult enough to have a one-night stand, you're adult enough to be honest. If at any point you feel as though you can't be yourself whole, you're either with the wrong person or you feel like you are wrong either way, save yourself the shame, guilt, and heartbreak. Do not proceed. I wish I wouldn't have been told. I wish I wouldn't have been told that one night stands are shameful, make you look bad, give you a bad reputation, etc. I wish I would have just been told that if you end up in a place where you are seeking this kind of connection, all you need to do is take a step back and ask yourself why you want it. That's all. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you should prioritize looking for a more sustainable relationship, such as true mutual friendships with yourself first and foremost, and spend some time alone. Get to know yourself, figure out what it is that you really want, and go for that. Little by little, you'll start to enjoy your own company. Soon, the thought of being alone won't elicit emotional triggers that are so powerful, you have to chase hot and heavy moments that ultimately end in an ever lonelier existence than before. I was always told you'll regret it, don't do it, you'll feel slutty. I guess that was much easier for people to say bad. Just make sure you don't have zero self-esteem and inability to deal with your loneliness, your insecurities, your life, and yourself. Um, if all of those are attacked, I promise that you'll feel secure in whatever it is you choose to do or not do. And you won't care what anyone else thinks because you'll be unapologetically powerful and confidently acting in light of your own moral compass and code on anyone else's. It's because I learned as a result, as a, it's because I learned as a result, to stop allowing your shame to define you. What defines us is the growth and evolution from lessons learned, not the shame from active insecurities that we all feel. And it's not because I have to for the right reasons to then mess up. Do I regret having one night stands? Not at all. Um, there are many reasons why people have one night stand, whether it's just once or habitually. Um, it could be a form of compulsive avoidance. Being so busy living the moment gives you a valid license to avoid facing the deeper issues that may be causing this behavior. It's a way to prove that you are attractive and desire without having to put yourself out there emotionally and relationally, whether when there's a higher possibility of rejection. There's much less of a possibility of rejection when it comes to no strings attached sex being on the table. To care for an enjoyable superficial connection via substantial and hopefully gratifying physical needs. It's an escape. It's a way for one night of any way to be the person that we wish we could consistently be. More spontaneous, more open, more sexual, more carefree, less anxious, more adventurous, etc. Carrot dangling. It's a way to see if we really are that irresistible, attractive, and special. We have a one night stand and then tie our value to seeing if the other person will follow up with us and want more. It's a way to connect with another person at a time where it may be too painful and risky to emotionally connect. Um,
The purpose of this post is not to bring out the moral or judgmental police. But it's, I'm basically talking about how to go about one night stands correctly. So one night stands are good as long as they are done properly. I'm quiet because I'm choosing my words carefully. So, how do you go about casual dating? You get to have romance and touch in your life without the commitments of a serious or long-term relationship. You have someone to hang out with in your downtime. You have someone to do quote-unquote couple and quote-unquote relationship things with without the commitment. You can get to know someone in a laid-back, pressure-free way. You can potentially date multiple people at the same time. You can have sex with a regular partner. You get to spend time with someone who you like who likes you back. You can get to know someone in a casual way while deciding whether you want to pursue a serious relationship with them. You can determine if someone is in a good fit for a long-term relationship with you before actually entering into a long-term relationship with them. You can enjoy spending time with someone you like even though you know you two would make a great couple in the long term. You can enjoy dating someone without having to share your whole life with them. You can enjoy the fun parts of dating without a lot of the more mundane and difficult parts of maintaining a long-term partnership. Things aren't purely sexual usually. You and the other person feeling like splitting time with each other even when you're not having sex. You have more independence and flexibility since you don't need to totally sync your life up with the other person's life. You don't need to find the perfect partner who can enjoy spending time with anyone whom you, who you find fun to be around, even if they're not the perfect fit for you. You might find out you really like each other and decide to enter for a more serious relationship. But those are the benefits of casual dating. Okay? So. Let's see. If casual dating is not for you, here are the risks of casual dating, again, for people who are not into casual dating. One person may start to form real romantic feelings or emotional attachments with the other person, and the other person may not feel the same way. If you develop feelings for the person and they don't feel the same, you can end up getting hurt. If the other person develops feelings for you and you don't feel the same way, you may end up feeling guilty about hurting that person. Some people may not communicate clearly about what they want from casual dating, causing misunderstandings and hurt feelings. Some people may use casual dating as an excuse to avoid communicating about needs and boundaries. Some people may use casual dating as an excuse to be careless, selfish, or dismissive of the other person's needs. Some people may use casual dating as an excuse to lie to the other person. Some people may say they want to casually date when in reality they're hoping for a serious relationship. If your relationship isn't exclusive, there may be a higher risk of requiring sexually transmitted infections and diseases. There's a possibility for jealousy if one or both parties is also dating other people. So, tips for successful casual dating, okay? Know what you want and why you want it. Tell your partner exactly what you want from the relationship. Be honest with yourself. Check in often. Communicate if things aren't going as planned. Stay true to yourself. Hmm. 
I abide by making the distinction between a healthy promiscuity and unhealthy promiscuity. Being promiscuous means you're still discerning a certain part, short, medium, or long term based on a range of capabilities, possibly with one or two knowingly lacking. It could mean that you're horny once you fuck. It could also mean you just love your human variety. From commercial people do anonymous sex. As long as they're the right people, teach their own. Sometimes good people want to get to know you before sleeping with you. They want chemistry, trust, and compatibility. such a big deal that you get into volcanic type of things. When the ethical slut came out, the authors Dossie East and Catherine Bliss tried to take back the word slut to mean a person who engendered the courage to lead life according to the radical proposition that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. Or rather, slowly accepted that life is more complex than what we, than what received wisdom instructs. That no matter who you're with, there's no one perfect sexual history or sexual makeup. Chris Ryan and his wife Castle wrote the book Sex with Donald to make sense of the research that 
Charlotte indicated we humans evolved from promiscuous ancestors and making the case that our living against our biology is what is driving so much unhappiness and relationships and sex. In some pre-agricultural societies, uh, they're also a, they're also held a belief that all women were in sense born pregnant. That is, they already are a little bit pregnant. And the belief was the more sex they have, the more the child inside grow, absorbing the qualities of different men. Sex throughout pregnancy is not com- was not uncommon. We know now that it only takes one orgasm from one man inside a woman to get her pregnant. But for how much of human history and prehistory, for how many communities did that take? Some groups may have had domesticated animals when they observed that one population could equal one litter or baby. It was that peer-reviewed and published far and wide in 50,000 BC. The second function is just as important. Sex is bonding. A small group well-sex can now concentrate on the other parts of life and attention and hunting and gathering and, wick- and wicker basket making or whatever the hell. In many pre agricultural societies, people could be covered off, and there may have been emotional bond, bonding, what we call monogamy. But there's not an expectation of sexual monogamy, sharing partners, having sex with more than one person, strengthening the bonds of the group because there was meaning behind it. These people grew up together, knew one another for years, would hunt and gather together, meaning with sex, and we know it would be impossible. We need to be casual because they are such, because these are such close-knit groups that relied on one another for survival, that sexual experiences of strengthening bonds and making them work and work that much harder for one another. This isn't even confined to prehistoric ancient Greek city-state of Thebes, had an elite group, Thebes had an elite group of warriors called the Sacred Band, making up 150 male couples. These 300 crack soldiers were effective because their devotion to each other made them fight ferociously. So there's a group strengthening component to sex, but wait, it's about to get weirder. We know from the contemporaries and primitive tribes of the world with little to no interaction with modern Western civilization that sex is prehistoric, that sex is prehistoric humans is semi-private affair at best. Many people aren't just having sex in front of each other, but you can't imagine that Berlin, Burlap, Curtin, or Waddle, and Dyad Wall did much to bury the noises and sights. Apparently, also prehistoric, prehistoric humans, there may have been an evolutionary function that was served by semi in public sex. According to some experts, primate females would have loud cries during sex only because it increases the pleasure of the experience of the party, but also because loud sex noises attracted other males. With being turned on by the calls and watching the copulation was also engaged in sex with the female, giving her blessing of sensibly. It was an invitation to orgy that promoted a disgusting phenomenon called sperm competition. This theory explains that both the number of orgasms a female can have in typical duration before ejaculation and a male can have in evolution that was described by social sex partners that promoted evolutionary and social advantages. The male who orgasm comes off the soon get his job at his firm in private. According to the theory, other males get involved in the same thing. 
The concept of sperm competition actually explains why gangbang cuckolded porn ranks among internet porn sites. A study showed that the sperm of a man who ejaculated the gangbang porn is actually more provoked more child than actively sperms of men watch lesbian porn. porn. Many men in one woman ain't probably offspring. Ain't that sh- ain't that shit ain't that not isn't that shit not in today's world, women are scorned for having sex and not sure how to Especially in flight and our pornography. He be called a whore for those that are goodly women, bunch of bearing children, and potential. Yet our biologists don't suggest that when our culture prizes these contradictions, are half of sex is poor. A woman has sex most of the men had at least two bunches of their kids or teens. Firstly, the life is perfect and everyone will have to be some part in this child with some part of those protection. In many parts of the world where kids don't really live in other houses where the elders do not be able to the place in the world without certain steps, the final father matters less than people who make the decision Devolve other men to parasexual experiences. That is, we boil sexuality down to the thrills of specific acts. Gay men who want to come on their Facebook and swallow a load or get fucked by a big dick or fuck a tight hole or get bread and go looking for cocoa good enough options for that day. Maybe just maybe that person will be good enough to stick around with his mom going to bring him a lover and then partner. This is where the binary, binary turn gay trans people, especially when that because we get one side for being open to food, and that side must be liberated for that side of the People, I, I hate fruit shaming, I hate pink shaming, I hate sex shaming, I hate slut shaming, I hate rape culture, I hate virginity tests, I hate checking the hymen.
rather than the binary being somehow quote unquote pure or quote unquote totally slutty, we need to strive for a balance between the healthy determination of multiple partners and knowing when our sexual urges are being given a little too much influence in our behavior. It's okay if you want loaded side sexually speaking. I'm back. Prehistoric humans, which make up the 99% of human existence from 10,000 BCE back to 500 BCE, when we split off from bonobos and chimpanzees, did not make monogamous relationships. Small bands that didn't make sense to treat others as your own because that cultivated selfishness and increased risk to the collective. Some pre-agricultural societies actually go to great lengths to shame someone if they feel jealous of their love with multiple partners, which is the complete opposite of the modern world. But we're going to assume this universal felt is culturally imposed on everyone everywhere else. What we feel now blinds in us to our own biological history. There are the things we have learned about human life that we take on face value, things like jealousy in a relationship. The book Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan is talking about Jessica. Jealousy possesses mission traits that indeed are universally felt and traditionally seen as the nature of most embarrassed phenomenologies. Ultimately, still traits that can be culturally exaggerated or minimized. Well, it's, oh, this, it gets awful. Women were property, and for thousands of years, there was extreme punishment for a woman being unfaithful. Yet, in spite of these thousands of conditions, Humans are still unfaithful. Humans like to fuck. Why is that? Because for the majority of human existence, humans have been non-monogamous. This is mean they didn't have a husband or a wife or life partner or spouse, and attachment can also be felt strongest for individuals we know, but that sex didn't have the same attachment it did today. And more appropriately, sex didn't have the same punishments it does today. This extends to sex too. Our ideas about promiscuity are informed by about 10,000 years of agriculture. Agriculture gave us property, and property gave us misogyny because in order to pass down property, it required knowing who the father was, and that required belief in women's sexuality. Women became property in the Bible, where the commandments goes, You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male female servant, his ox or donkey, and you make promise to your neighbor. It, but we could do a lot of damage if we simplify things too much, too little, or open to the left or right too far. We don't even seem to want to appreciate life as a complex spectrum or 
a range of experiences, I should say, without ever wanting seem to want to appreciate life the complex spectrum of a range of experiences. We develop whole cultures around supply things, around long things, around healthy things. British cuisine, massage, and honor killing is some way to get to that again. Let's understand that binary is attention because they simplify the world to match. We can't get boiling things down to the world. Unscientific and dangerous. Yet there's such thing as a book. Two spotted black. But that line is actually farther different. Farther and different than where people traditionally, where people traditionally have drawn. So often has been drawn with fragile male egos punishing female sexuality. This place a binary stud slash slut. Because men envy men getting laid more despise women who get laid more than they do. We need a better binary we need a better binary than stud slash slut or Madonna slash whore or pure slash or pure slash slutty. We need to strive for a balance between a healthy determination of multiple partners and knowing when our sexual urges are good too much influencing our behavior. We need to stop shaming people for exploring that. It's hypocritical and leads to a ton of unhappiness, both men and women, LGBT plus plus people, genderless people, not black and persons. And lastly, for this, we can't live without some sort of making sense of the world. We need it either automatically. With knowledge we perceive and we choose on multiple levels how to view the world in order to navigate it in a way that provides some kind of comfort to at least not be buckled by the weight of the nonsense bullshit, if you will. It's how we decide our codes of personal policy to live by when we slice and offer the number of things we have. I will pause to do to expand on this episode some more, so thank you all for here.